Welcome to our latest co-hosted podcast. I'm Chuck Marple, your host, with Karen E as co-host. How are things going today, Karen? Pretty good. It's been a good week weather-wise here. The lows in the evening are really good for sleeping weather, and the highs are a little bit more bearable than what they were earlier this summer. It's interesting, as we get towards the midterm, so many of the GOP don't want to think or have to talk, it seems, or do anything about the ex-president. However, he keeps them on their toes. Today, a federal judge appointed by the former president will rule on his request to appoint a special master to go through the documents removed by an FBI team at his home in Mar-a-Lago last month. A master is designated to look for documents that would be lawyer-client privileged. However, Already, a separate and special FBI team already has completed their search and put aside anything to be remotely considered privilege. And this this team has nothing to do with the, the, the criminal part. It's just to look for those kinds of issues. Karen, what's your take on this push from the former president? Um, well, first, the, the thing that was interesting is they didn't even file for this until two weeks after uh, the FBI yes did the search. So that is curious to me too. Like they were searching for some way to maybe stall it or interject themselves into the process. Exactly. Um, I think it's sort of silly. Like it, it definitely seems based on what I've seen that the FBI, like you said, was very, they're, they're very by the book with this and having that special team that, that is not part of the investigative team for the FBI that it went through and they identified documents that were privileged and removed them. So this, it seems like a redundant step, but this is also Trump's MO in business, which is to try to stall litigation as much as possible, get the courts bogged down. And he feels that's a winning strategy for him. So I'm pretty sure he's probably like, just find something, find something that we can file. But it's hard for me as so many Anybody that was on his lawyer team earlier this year, they're also in trouble, I think. When you look at the DOJ's filing in response to this um, on Tuesday, where it looks like a couple of Trump's lawyers signed off that there were no more classified materials back in June, and then they found 100 more documents in August. So the whole thing is really weird. It certainly is. You know, you, you go out there, why Why would you do this? And then at the same time, they're trying to say, well, what they did was wrong. And then they're say, uh, saying, uh, well, a president has the right to have these things. Uh, they're trying to do something that is unbelievable about it. And essentially, the DOJ has responded to that with a nice 34, I think, page document. Uh, I read most of it, and it's just kind of interesting what they say. Uh, you can see that it w- how it was written it was to really answer the point and make uh, the position that what he was saying had no relevance to the situation. So, you know, what do you think about the, their response, the DOJ's response? Uh, I read it with a lot of interest um, yesterday morning. And... It definitely, I think that they went into this. I think that they probably didn't want to have to deal with this. They're like, oh, great. National Archives and Records Administration needs help. Oh, classified documents. This is going to suck. 
And I think that they went into it knowing that they were going to have to cross every T dot every I and, and have like an ironclad legal and constitutional reason for everything that they did. And I see, it seems like the people in Trump's orbit are wanting to make it political when I don't, I don't think that it is. I don't think that it's political at all. You have, you have documents that are literally like security secrets of the United States in your home. You were told they needed to be secured and you claimed you gave everything back in June. And now the FBI's come back. They found things outside of that room in your desk, in your private office, which is not secure. And, and you're trying to argue publicly that, that there's a problem here. And like today's new tactic is I'm, I was a president. I'm allowed to have that stuff. Well, I had a clearance too, and I, I worked in the desert. Am I allowed to have those documents too? That, that's not that's not the right answer. No, it's not because those documents. It's very very clear. Those documents belong to the archives, to the people, to the nation. They don't belong belong to him. You know, go back to that uh, uh, politicizing. It. They're trying to to say that uh, Biden knew what was going on, or administration knew what was going on. Well, you know why they thought that. Because that's exactly what that his administration had done. They politicized the DOJ, both yes. when he brought in Bill Barr, because Bill Barr was one of his greatest assets at the beginning of this. He certainly uh, did the interpretation of the Mueller report far and not the way that Mueller had intended it, but he did it anyways on, on there. And it just seems that that was what they had done. And so they assumed that that would mean that this president and people were involved in it too. The least political part of our government should be the Department of Justice, headed by the, the Attorney General and beyond, and, and mainly staffed by FBI. And that should be the least political group. They should be strictly involved with the law. And Trump's team response to the DOJ, what did you think about that? It doesn't make sense to me. Like, you don't, you, 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 like, none of it is, it's just they're throwing out whatever they can think of, whatever they can find to somehow tie it legally. Like, th that response wasn't that I declassified all that. We've moved on from that now. Now it's like, well, fine, I can have whatever I want. And it wasn't, it, that's, I don't understand, like, where they're coming from legally. Like, no matter what, like some of those documents, one of them I, I saw the cover sheet in that picture and it talked about, you know, originator controlled. And like, that means no matter what, the originator is going to control the dissemination of that and the release of that. And classified documents that I worked with are 25 to 30 years that they're going to remain classified even well beyond the time when they're relevant. I, I feel deeply concerned still for what sort of documents he had and what he showed them to. I doubt it was like technical things about airplanes and, you know, weapon, weaponry and hopefully not nukes. But, you know, they've said that he did have that. But I feel like a lot of it is probably sources in Russia, sources in China, sources in North Korea, you know, people that he can sell down the river to get help to become president again. I, I feel like this was part of a, a concerted effort to get his way 
and he was going to give these names up and probably get people killed. Like I've, I've started tracking. Um, it's interesting. Some of the Russians are people associated with Russia, like Russian rebellion. What's the word? Russian, I guess, descent. And they started dying strange ways. People, Oh, it was a suicide. They fell out of a window and it makes you wonder. And then you think about like, I know that Ivana Trump was, she wasn't young, but she wasn't that old. And she died because she fell down her stairs that I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it's interesting to me that she, that she died in that way. And they buried her at the Bedminster golf course. I hadn't thought about that. So much about, yeah, so much about this that is very strange. Like, I don't. I mean, I I don't think that she was that close to him. They they spoke nicely of each other publicly, but it's so strange to me that she would be buried at his golf course. And I've seen you know speculation and tax benefits and those sort of things, but. There's, there's just something about it that feels very sinister to me. Well, I think that anything with him can be, seem sinister, too. You know, the, the part of the problem was that no really qualified attorney was willing to work on this process. The people well, you, he put... You're gonna it, if you're going to do the work that this, this filing and all of this for him is going to require and you have to put up with his attitude and him just flying off the handle and doing whatever he feels like, and you're not going to get paid at the end, that's where I think it is for a lot of these people. Well, I think it is too. I think it's the whole thing, they, they learned their lesson, and they know that it, it's a no-win situation, even if they were already going to get paid. But the people that he is left with aren't the right people to do this, and you can see that in the way that it was filed. They had uh, a, a couple of, of the end. I know some people out there might not trust CNN completely, but it, it certainly is is pretty good for their, their analysts. They were saying that uh, a first-year law student would fail if they turned in a paper like this one that was sent out. They had about 10 people who are, who are uh, legal analysts and security analysts, and every single one of them, with one exception, a man who would have worked for George W. Bush or H.W. Bush, one of them, uh, every other one said that this master concept has no bearing on this and should not be in there. And that the way they're pushing it, they're not pushing it in, the, in any kind of reasonable way. And, and like you said, it was so convoluted what they had responded that I don't know. I I really only think that the only chance that they have is because he appointed this judge, but that shouldn't be. They're appointed lifetime to stay out of politics. But I mean, even then, like she said, she was inclined to approve it before the DOJ document Mm -hmm. and before this dribble that, that Trump's team has submitted. Like, so, you know, his whole narrative of like, well, all they had to do was ask nicely. We were cooperating. There was a good relationship built. That's that's not at all what happened. Your your people had weeks to search. They turned over 37 documents in June. The FBI somehow by someone tipped off that there was more still there. 
went back and got a hundred. And the scary thing that every one of those documents was in that room. Some of them were in his desk that were top secret. You know, exactly. that means that he, he knew what was going on. And, and whatever his that, purpose is, nefarious or otherwise. Go ahead. One, one of the things I read was that, and I don't know if it's true. I can't remember where I read it. I read a lot of different sources instead of just trusting one website, one article or whatever. I read a lot. And one of the, I found it once, maybe twice, that some of the papers in his desk were with his passports. Which, you know, whatever, you put whatever in your desk, however you put it in your desk, but that looks strange. You want to make sure you maybe don't forget them when you travel again? You know, like, how, how, there's no way to know unless a person know, officially knows it and turns where he's taken these papers. Yeah, and the other thing I read about is that whenever he uh, is anywhere, that he always brings a pile, a box of papers. They may be documents, they may be newspapers, they may be magazine articles, they may be something that is people, the people that it works with him or want, or works for him wants him to read. Whether it was being president or whether it was being uh, uh, the CEO of Trump Enterprises, and they were just always the mishmash of stuff. And that's what they're finding. This is just a mishmash. It just shows that one of the biggest failings. People kept saying about, well, this is a businessman. This is a businessman. Yes, but this is a businessman who never had to answer in the last 30 years to anybody but himself. It did not matter how organized or how disorganized he was. Other people were going to take over to do what was necessary, like Weisenberg or Cohen or anybody else in there. So it's so confusing to me. I should say maybe it's not confusing to me. What they sent back, those lawyers, is just like like him, a mismatch of all these kinds of things. You know, it's like we're going to throw these darts on the wall and whatever sticks hopes that it gains some traction. Well, to pivot pivot into the same concept but uh, about the former president and his perils, uh, let's look at a, at a senator by the name of Lindsey Graham. Now, Lindsey Graham when John McCain was alive, seemed to be a relatively reasonable man. He opposed Donald Trump running in the beginning and said some things, and Trump actually published his phone number, his personal phone number, cell phone number, and other information, and they had a a conflicting relationship. Then all of a sudden, they became golfing buddies after he became president. Still, he had some respect when when, John McCain is around. John McCain dies, and next thing you know, Lindsey Graham is hitching his star. Now, that's bad enough. But now he gets on on media. I believe it was Fox News, but I'm not sure. And says, essentially, that if the president is charged of crimes from these, that there will be riots and violence on the street. What do you think those remarks really mean? Do you think they they have a basis in reality? Is he just talking on his ass, as they would say? I think it's a threat. After January sixth, everything is on the table. They're like they're there's no longer dog whistles. They're screaming through a loudspeaker to the people. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know that they would get the kind of turnout that they think they'll get, 
because people are being prosecuted in the January 6th riot. And people, those people are realizing, oh, well, we didn't get pardoned and Trump didn't look out for us. And this isn't all it was supposed to be. So it's a threat, though. It's a threat for sure. The sad thing is, this is a, a senior senator uh, in the gen- in the, the Republican Party who used to be considered uh, at least a moderate conservative in the party, and yet he's talking about something that that has the potential of lives taken along this line. The mega GOP, and let's make it clear, there are two Republican parties. I don't want to insult every Republican out there. I know some of them that are very very traditional. And they hold the conservative values of a Liz Cheney. I may not always agree with their values, but I accept their values. And they, I know that they care about the United States and they care about other people. So let's look at the mag when I'm talking about this. They tried to paint itself as the party supporting police and law enforcement. However, throughout this, their text on the FBI to the point they've had armed people appear outside of FBI offices. They've had horrible things written. Even that judge who okayed the, who accepted the the uh, war uh, and signed the warrant to search the premises, had to have all of his personal information removed to keep safe. That that, that these people who are doing their jobs of protecting us have to kiss, worry about their own lives and their own families' lives because of what happens. I mean, we look at those two women who are just counting votes in Georgia in our home state here. And they are afraid of their lives. A woman had to give up her livelihood and the name she had used in her business for years because they had publicized her and accused her and her daughter of doing things to switch votes and play with the votes. And they were switching a pack of mints. That was what was passed. And they had that very clearly on there. So again, their attacks on law enforcement at the, at the January 6th attack at the Capitol belied the notion, along with this attack on the FBI and now uh, on the IRS as well, to do that. They, they, they belie that the notion that they support law enforcement. 140 officers were seriously injured, with at least three being dire- dying directly because of that insurrection. I mean, they had a man on there who had made his career in that, and he can no longer work in the job. He has been there for every single hearing of the January 6th committee. It is disgusting, totally disgusting, what the party is ended up doing. And I feel like, I feel like for a lot of people, because I've I've seen some smart people get get kind of caught up in this. And when you get to talk to them one-on-one and you start asking them questions, they really can't verbalize why they feel the way they, they, they do. And I think at this point, so many of them are afraid to say, I've been fooled. You know, admitting that you were tricked is really hard. And there was a lot of that, especially at the beginning of 2021, when they were like, there's going to be a shadow government and Trump is going to run this shadow government. And you know, then on this day in March, there's going to be this thing. And it was like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And they always found like a new thing to shift to. And it was bizarre to me. It's like, you're being lied to. Like, Trump is not a self-made millionaire. He never was. He wanted to be part of Hollywood and Hollywood wouldn't have him. But 
I wish they would have taken him because then we wouldn't all be dealing with him. But he just wants to be adored and he wants to be loved. And he just, it's really sad because we've let him sort of put himself in a position to ruin our whole way of life and, and twist the truth in such a way that you're like, this doesn't even make sense. How can anybody believe this? I know it's extremely frustrating that we've had to go through this and these people and some of them are, are seeing the light, you know, and there's so many of them pushing away from there. They're taking his name and his support off and they've done other things. Uh, let's stop this for a moment. And, you know, I want to uh, go out there. I don't know if there's anybody, because I don't know the states where all the, all, any of the listeners are in. But just to show that we are really concerned about what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi. Pakistan, too, and that's another country, a third of Pakistan is underwater. But Jackson, Mississippi, can you imagine not being able to flush your toilet, to have drinking water, to have anything? It's bad enough not to have to drink water, but you can't even flush your toilet. There's, no, there's been no water pressure. And this is not a rich state. This is not a place that has a lot of infrastructure to help. And to have the capital of the state be going through this. I mean, our hearts go out to you people and to the people of, of uh, Jackson, Mississippi, and to Pakistan as well. It is such a sad thing that we've come to this, this episode, and so much of it is dependent on what we have done to ourselves through putting too much uh, gases into the atmosphere and changing our climate. And we're going to see more of that. We're going to see more of that in the next few years. I worry especially about what's going to happen to your children, our grandchildren, and Brian's as well as our son's children, and their children, should we survive that far? There is so much out there that just from the climate alone, the uh, Pentagon, even during the Obama, at the end of the Obama administration, it talked about the number one existential threat to civilization is not nuclear war. It's not war at all. It's not even hunger. It is climate change. And if we look at the one resource we all need to survive, you can go days without eating. You can go, go uh, months with eating sparingly. But what you can't go, you can't go more than three days and not always that much without having clean drinking water. And what we've done to it, to our water supply throughout the world, Florida is a great example. They've taken so much of the, uh, of the water out of the aquifers. That's why they keep having sinkholes. And I don't know what we're going to do, but it, it's, it's something I, I, it comes to the heart for these people and for the future. I think that we're going to be saved and we're going to be saved by the Zoomers that are just the oldest ones are just hitting their 20s now. These these kids are brilliant. They see everything. They see how adults just argue over stupid things and they don't pay attention to what's really going on. They're accepting of everybody. They're, they don't care who you are, who you love, what you're into, whatever. It's just, it's they are going to save all of us. And it's just refreshing to see, you know, when I talk to the older two, they just, they just don't have any energy for the bullshit that the rest of us are arguing about. They're all about taking care of each other and taking care of the world and just 
kindness. Like it's such a different place where they where they exist. And I think that they're going to bring that with their votes and we will start to see change really soon. I really I hope believe so. in the Zoomers and I really think they have their heads and their hearts in the right place. And that gives me a chance and we we don't talk about a lot of personal things. But I'm going to give a, give a shout out to Karen's youngest grand youngest son. I'm not going to say names because I don't want the, that much identification here. But the, but this this kid uh, moved to a new school, and the, he took a test, a math test, and he scored so high in the math test that they put him on a team. Now I want you all to think uh, think of this: How would you like to go out to be tested on, on a competition with hundreds of others, and have timed tests of a hundred questions, I believe, three times? And you had to figure this all in your head and write down the answer in ink so you couldn't change it. Can you imagine the pressures to do that and how well you have to do, showing that we really have good people coming up in the future who are problem solvers? This young man came in second among I don't know how many competitors in his group, and he was among the youngest taking, taking this in this competition. And he got a trophy for it. I've always said it's good to see trophies given to kids for academic skills as it is for giving them for athletic skills. So we're very proud of this. Young and I can't man. remember if I told if I I can't remember if I told you this at the time, but um, the Friday afternoon before the math Olympics competition, his school held a pep rally in the hall for all the kids going to the math Olympics. Like the whole school was lined up along the the, the main hallway. And they were just screaming their names and shouting for them. And it was like anything they would do for an athletic team. So it was really, it was an awesome experience. And this also included not just their school or even their school district. It was multiple areas from from uh, this part of the country. It was the county. It was the county. Yeah. And that, that, that's that's quite a, quite a, yeah, so that, that's, that's quite impressive. And, you know, um, like I say, I don't usually do personal things on here, but I just wanted to do a, a shout out when she's talking about the future. So thank you, Karen, and thank you for the listeners for being here this afternoon. God bless you. God bless this great nation and our great leaders. And our hearts go out to you people in Pakistan and Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, God willing, you'll be out of this this time a little bit better, and you know the Lord will be with you and take care of you. Good afternoon. <laughs>